Hello everyone, this is The Game Podcast from The Times and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Thank you for sticking with us during lockdown. Joining me today are Gregor Robertson and Jonathan Northcroft. Good to have you both on this latest pod. Five weeks now we're into lockdown and I kind of wondered, have either of you learned any new skills? Jonathan? Done a lot of, uh, done a lot of cooking, so learned a few oh. new recipes. Um, Very good. I haven't I'd actually, depressingly, I think I've just kept all the same old faults and probably haven't progressed <laughs> as a human being at all. I looked around my office and the one thing I thought lockdown was going to bring was a tidy office because I'd have so much time here and I still haven't done it six weeks later. So I'd love to tell you about a journey, but I probably haven't been on one. No, I think there's many people that have piles of things just just piling up just naturally it happens i think in some ways you either are very active or you just become a little bit lazier in certain, on certain let's say in certain times and certain days that's that sort of thing what about you gregor <laughs> apart from your press-ups what have you been doing <laughs> um i'm gonna say cocktails i've never Ooh. made a cocktail in my life before lockdown and uh, certainly in the first week or two when it, the sun was shining and I think yeah. got to the end of most days and I thought I could do with something alcoholic. Uh, <laughs> I was making making some mean margaritas, actually. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm quite <laughs> jealous. I'm, I am, though, speaking of cocktails, I'm actually going to try and make myself a pina colada tonight. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what about you, Nat? What have you learned? Oh, gosh, not a great deal, but I am doing more baking than I would ever have done before. Um, some of it really easy stuff like Rocky Road, really simple fridge. That's a fridge cake thing, so that's not hard. Um, but, you know, typically banana bread. I'm going to make a pavlova this weekend. So, nice. yeah, I'm trying to do, I don't know, trying to be a bit more domesticated, but I don't really know <laughs> if I've got it in me. But anyway, I'm doing my best. Uh, Jonathan, before we get underway, I, I know you've been speaking to Wayne Rooney uh, today ahead of the weekly column in the Sunday Times that he has. I have, yeah. I had a great chat with Wayne this morning. Um, he's going to do a column um, trying to give an insight into that step that players have to take between academy football and, and first team football. You know, what's key? Why do some make it? Why do, why, why, why do some fall by the wayside? Drawn on what he's seen himself. Some of the players that came through at, at, at United when he was a senior pro didn't quite make it. Obviously his own experiences um, it's a really good um, football read, I hope. There's a lot of great insight in there and anecdote. And he, he'll, he'll update us a little bit about his situation with Derby as well. Obviously, they, they've agreed a, a wage deferral um, at last. He's been involved in that, so he'll touch on that a little bit too. Oh, something to look forward to then on Sunday. Coming up on the podcast, we're looking ahead to tomorrow's crucial Premier League exec call, what that might mean for the future of football. And we're also celebrating National Honesty Day with a game of unpopular opinions, the football edition. All that to come after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We're going to start the pod by talking about Maurizio Pochettino. He's been out of work for nearly six months since being sacked by Tottenham in November last year. And he's spoken out for the first time about his Spurs departure and admits he wants to return to the club before I die, he says, to finish 
what he started. Here's exactly what he had to say. It was an amazing journey that finished in the way no one wanted it to finish. But deeper in my soul, in my heart, I am sure our ways will cross again. For sure, from now, since the day I left the club, my dream is one day to be back and try to finish the work we didn't finish. Maybe in five years, maybe in ten years. But before I die, I want to manage Tottenham again and try, if it is possible, to win one title. And all this as he moves in as odds-on favourite to be the next manager of Newcastle ahead of their proposed takeover, Gregor. Tottenham fans hearing that will no doubt be licking their lips, especially the ones that were so devastated when Pochettino got the axe from Tottenham. How highly do you rate him as a manager? Yeah, it was a very, very deep interview, wasn't it? A very deep Mm. response. I think that's one of the reasons everyone... Uh, everyone likes kind of warm to Pochettino so much. He wears his heart on his sleeve, and and he's an emotional guy. And he obviously built up a very strong, kind of powerful connection with the with the Spurs players as well. And I I rate him very high. I think he should be, and probably is, the most highly coveted out of work coach in the world right now. Um, I, you know, I, we got so used to seeing Spurs competing against against clubs that, that lavish far more money on their teams year after year um, as Spurs brought through or signed kind of prospects, young prospects, and even one year signed nobody at all, uh, famously. Um, and, you know, people have the same... It, there's that constant thing about him n- never winning a trophy there. Um, his record against the Big Six wasn't fantastic, but I think the way... He fundamentally changed the kind of mentality of that group of players and and that football club, um, doing all all of that while spending. I think his net spend was 109 million during his entire tenure, which is just ridiculous, hmm. really, in modern day football. Um, and in his time, I think only City, Liverpool, and Chelsea won more points. So, look, he needed a break. I think that's I think that's clear. clear was clear for everyone. Uh, after a little bit of time passed, it was such a shock when he was sacked. I think he needed a break. I think everyone, they all needed a break from each other almost. It just came to its conclusion for a whole host of reasons, which we've discussed many times before. But I think the way it ended um, at Spurs can't detract from the job he did and from how good a coach he is. Mm. There are some, though, Jonathan, that will say the lack of trophies in that cabinet for Maurizio Pochettino perhaps doesn't put him in a class of managers. Do you think that's unfair because of actually the development that he made at Tottenham? I do. I mean, the first thing I'd say is that so few coaches, I mean, and you're talking about a minute number, actually tick all the boxes, you know. So if one box is development, another box is trophy winning, and, and you know, another box might be overperforming on budget and all that kind of stuff. And, and he ticked nearly every box at Tottenham. And yes, he didn't win a trophy. And and there are, you know, probably two big examples where he maybe was the favourite to win and didn't win. I'd say 2015-16 when, um, you know, halfway through the season, perhaps the the title was there for them ahead of Leicester and and Leicester were the ones that did it. And maybe the 2017 FA Cup, again, Tottenham were the best team left in it and they didn't win it. But I sort of feel it's nitpicking a little bit because... Those are maybe two trophies out of all the ones he competed for. Every other time, he was overperforming. Um, he was um, with a, a team with a smaller budget, as Greg has alluded to, um, uh, and a team that he built himself. And was actually the very fact 
they Spurs did things like reach the Champions League final, that, that they were second, what, three years out of five or whatever with an under tenure, is actually a testament to his management rather than uh, a detraction from it. And he, on top of that, gave great football. He gave identity and personality to Spurs. Um, and he developed players. And he'd already done all of that as well at Southampton. So it wasn't a one-off. I think he's a, you know, an enormously impressive manager. And only, only maybe in the current game, you'd say that Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola have achieved both the, you know, a development football style and trophies but, but I don't see anyone else that's that's that's, that's done that certainly in, in this country so it's no surprise to me that, that that he would be top of any any club's list especially one like Newcastle post a takeover that would be looking to build something. Yeah so reports do suggest that he is the prospective new owner's number one choice and that they are willing to pay him quite a staggering £19 million a year to take charge of the club. Is he a good fit for Newcastle, Gregor? Yeah, of course he would be. I mean, all that, all, all the things I've just said about how emotional he is and the bond he likes to, he kind of builds with a football club and, and its players. Crikey, I mean, if you're a Newcastle fan looking at that, you know, about him potentially coming in and, and doing the same with you, we saw how attached the group to Rafa Benitez, someone of stature and who spoke about the potential and the the size of the club and, and what could be the possibilities rather than all the, the negatives that they've been so used to for so long up there. So yeah, I mean undoubtedly uh he'd be a great fit. Um he's not too good for them either. He's Newcastle have great potential. They've just been in the doldrums for far too long. Um I <laughs> The one thing you do have to say is that kind of this is the this is the reason why this the Saudis want to buy buy Newcastle. You know, last week we were speaking about about all the the negatives to do with that, and now now we're talking about Pochettino potentially being linked to the club and the huge leap in ambition there would be. And it's so obvious, it's so easy to be kind of to be won over by that. It's exciting. It'd be so exciting if you're a Newcastle fan and this you're you're reading all this, but you, we can't forget all the all the other things that we discussed last week in the background. What about you, Jonathan? Do you think Pochettino could revolutionise Newcastle? That, that job is 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 going to be similar to the job that Manchester City faced post their takeover, where you're looking at three or four years of building before you become um, the, the the challenger for honours. So what you need is, a, first of all, is, a, is a, a coach who's got great development credentials, which he does. He would tap into the emotion... Uh, the passion of, of, of the region in the same way that Rafa did. Um, and I think you also, at Newcastle, what you do want is a manager with a point to prove. You don't want a guy... I don't, I, I, an image of Manuel Pellegrini has just floated into my mind, so I don't want to be too cruel on him. But you don't want a, a guy turning up to, to get a wee pay packet when he's already done most of the stuff he wants to do in football and just wants another go at it. You want a guy who's hungry and, and um, has... Basically, this next job is going to be really important for him, and that describes Pochettino perfectly. You know, his next step is crucial for his career, so you'd assume that he's going to throw absolutely a kitchen sink at it. And, and you know, if Newcastle can make themselves the beneficiaries of that, I think it'd be great for them. Now, I know that a lot of managers will always have an affiliation with another club, or you know, as you pointed out, Gregor, there was a love there for Maurizio Pochettino for, for Tottenham. 
How do you think Newcastle fans would feel then when they're hearing him talking about the unfinished business at Tottenham, how he wants to go back there and, and wants to win a title for them? The fact that he's dreaming of a return to Spurs, does that not make you think as a Newcastle fan? Well, he's not 100% committed to us. Uh, I don't think so. I think, well, first of all, we're talking about several hypotheticals there, but I think <laughs> this, also, you know, Rafa Benitez would probably rather go to Liverpool than Newcastle when he joined them. That's just the reality of it. But it's not going to happen. I think the, rea- the likelihood of, of Poch going back to Spurs in the near future is slim to zero. Um, uh, so I really, I think the prospect of him uh, turning up in time, on Tyneside, as Johnny says, with a bit of a point to prove, a kind of the beginning of a a new project, money to spend, far more money than he had at Spurs to spend. Um, I think that would pale into insignificance. He's you know he's he's obviously got a bond with with Spurs and 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 he's an emotional guy. But I think if he was to sign up for for a new project like Newcastle United, then his focus would be entirely on that. Well, we wait to see, of course, what will happen with the Newcastle situation. And tomorrow, Premier League club executives will link up for a crucial video conference call to discuss the return of football. Tension in the country is high around plans to resume the season behind closed doors at a small number of sealed and approved venues and whether it's realistic, responsible or appropriate to pursue the idea at all. This week, we've seen France follow Belgium and Holland in abandoning their current season. FIFA's chief doctor, uh, Michael de Hoog, has warned against restarting the current campaign. The likes of Gary Neville has asked how many footballers would need to die before the Premier League wakes up and realises it is not safe to continue. And the Liverpool mayor, Joe Anderson, has said resuming the Premier League is a non-starter and he fears a farcical situation with fans congregating outside Anfield, even if Liverpool clinched the title at a neutral venue. A lot then going on this week, but has it changed our opinion on the matter? Jonathan, what can we expect, do you think, from this Premier League exec call that's taking place tomorrow? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have high hopes for it being definitive uh, because I, I think what is clear, what has become clear in the last week is that football can make all the plans that it likes, but really we're going to be guided by um, the, the wider context, the, the nation, uh, the health advice and all that kind of stuff. So actually, I think the next key date is May the 7th when lockdown is reviewed and at that point um, our Prime Minister makes some kind of um, sort of de- decision whether... To, to extend lockdown or not, and I, I think if lockdowns extended again, then I just don't I just don't see how it's possible to to start to get get football back on within the timescale we're talking about. And I, I, so I think what we'll see tomorrow is Premier League doing what they have to do, which is making as many um, plans as they can, looking at different scenarios, um, trying to get as ready as possible for the moment that there is a green light. Um, but I, I, I don't think the decision is going to be made. Uh, then and actually, um, from you know, if you look at the progress from the start of the week when Project Restart was had a bit of momentum behind it to subsequent events, you'd have to say that it's taken a bit of a blow. You know, the the the, the French um, decision is, is certainly a blow. Um, the uh, FIFA medical chief medical officers his 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 views are a blow, um, and Joe Anderson raising their something that's a, a really significant factor, you know, which part, the prospect that the next game Liverpool play could be to clinch the title at Goodison Park. How do you keep public um, 
safety in, in that scenario, how do you keep social distancing? The wider context, as I say, is so important to, to all of this. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think tomorrow's interesting, but in a way it would be better for the Premier League if, if they could have that meeting after uh, the next sort of lockdown review. Gregor, we've seen, obviously, other European leagues have decided to come out and make decisions on their future. We know what with what's happened in, in the Netherlands, France, obviously, they've had to assume that they will not be coming back after all sport has now been cancelled until September, that coming from the government in place there. From what you've seen then and what you're hearing, have you changed your opinion on, on football in, in England and, and whether or not it can resume anytime soon? Uh, by the day, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, Craigie, I saw the, a picture today um, alongside a story about players having to wear face masks in training. Um, alongside a picture of, I think it was Belarus, where they, where they actually wore them in games. Players lined up, kind of wearing masks, and you just sort of thinking, where, how ludicrous is this? Is this getting? And and like, I, I, speaking to players, it, it still seems astonishing to me that. They haven't. They haven't been consulted. The, the players who are, who are having to, who are the ones who are going to have to go out on the pitch, and when, you know, no, as Johnny says, there's so much. There, it's the outside world that's going to affect this, and even if lockdown, a lockdown is lifted, for for months and months on end, the, everywhere in society, people are going to be going out of their way to not come into close proximity to other people, basically who don't live in their own house. I think that's the way that's going to be for several months at least and we are going to at that time we're thinking about allowing a contact sport to to get to get underway and we've not even asked the players yet I know there's a lot of time until it happens or not but I you know I I think there's some serious concerns about um amongst players about about doing this and and it's understandable I mean Mm. speaking to I spoke to Simon Francis this week and um, the Bournemouth captain, and there's so many considerations. You know, they started going, started back to, uh, this week up doing one-on-one sessions with a fitness coach at, at the training ground, um, and he's he's just recovered from an ACL injury, so he has to do a session without any kind of. He normally has treatment and work with physios and stuff before beforehand. That's just one very minor thing. Then there's the volume of games. Then there's the risk to their health from the from the virus itself, and potentially to their families. And he said some of Bournemouth's players, their families, they they have family members who have underlying health issues, and this is a disease we know very little about still. Um, I just think there's so many, you know, you you have one bright, one day of news where you think, oh maybe this is going to happen, and then as you say, the French leagues, French league basically calls a halt to it. And I also think there's something about the inter the sort of the connectivity of these leagues. There will come a point where in the Premier League being an outlier will no longer be feasible because the focus will be on when the next season starts. Mm. But of course, Jonathan, I'm sure the Premier League will be watching on of what happens in the Bundesliga because we know they are a little bit further ahead of us in terms of how they're dealing with this pandemic. And we know that a lot of the teams are are back in training. Again, maybe not full contact training, but they are suggesting that they want to get back to playing soon as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the Bundesliga has been held as, as, as a beacon, although you look at the detail of it, and, and I read an interesting piece today, dare I say, an arrival uh, news organisation with Uwe Rosler, 
who's coach of Fortuna Dusseldorf, who, who are sort of preparing for possibly re- restarting. But actually, the more I read of that piece, the less optimistic I became about the Bundesliga's chances because, um, you know, two weeks off or less than two weeks off from a supposed restart, they're still training in small groups. They're still training in groups of, I think it was eight, um, and still talking about measures where in dressing rooms players are going to social distance uh, and yet go out onto the pitch and try and play. And when you actually looked at the detail, you thought it's not as if the Germans have suddenly come up with this incredible thing that we haven't thought of you know there's nothing there that, that gets over those really fundamental problems and I think they like um, the UK will depend on government and it will depend on Angela Merkel's sort of decision I guess in, in, in the face of what appears to be perhaps a, a sort of rise in, in infection rates in Germany so um, if, if the Bundesliga gets back on it could be the light that shows the way but um, every league's different uh, as Gregor says, there's, there's a sort of there might come a critical mass when enough leagues cancel that you know this Premier League would be out on a limb. Um, and also, you know, we we talk about football in this country as if it is just the Premier League, but for the Championship or the EFL, so little reason for them to play again. They're not even going, you know, they, they depend on their fans for for income. So, um, you know, just financially playing for them makes makes no sense before you get to all the you know the, the same health concerns as anyone else and of course they don't have the same resources to test and have bio you know atmospheres and stay in hotels for 12 weeks on end I mean how, how's a league two club going to be able to do that so you know I, I feel like a naysayer but I just see obstacles everywhere yeah that is the biggest issue though is it in, in the sense of the EFL clubs Gregor I mean one people don't seem to be talking about it. it's all focused on the on the Premier League but as Jonathan has pointed out it may not be financially beneficial for some of these clubs to actually have the season restart. No, it's not. It will cost them money. And lower league clubs will have to end the following of their players, which means they'll have to pay them again without any income. Um, yeah, it's it's not feasible for, certainly in League 1 and League 2. There, there's, just a, there's just a handful of clubs in the Championship who are determined to either make the playoffs or, or be promoted to the Premier League. Uh, who are clinging on to it and they want to kind of hang on the coattails of the Premier League. Um, but the idea of of either the Premier League diverting from from the rest of the Football League and you know continuing to play, and there's so many economic factors at play here, or diverting from the rest of Europe, I, I think it's impossible. Uh, I, you know, it, it, I think really we have to focus now on on how what's the fairest way of concluding the season. I, I know. I know these plans, it's almost incumbent on the Premier League to, to try and make these plans, but they need to make the plan B as well, because there's if the season doesn't finish, it just opens up a whole new world of pain as well, because there's going to be even more people complaining how uh, unfair it is. Not, there always will be teams who who, who lose out um, and are the losers from it. So I think really that we have to be thinking about that too. Mm. It's interesting. You're right. I mean, everyone's trying to come up with the right solution. I know that I was speaking to Gabby Agbon Lahore, for example, and uh, I couldn't help but feel maybe he's got his Aston Villa hat on for this one because he was saying Liverpool should be crowned champion, but you don't have relegation from the Premier League. Um, I, I know other people have been saying, well, yes, you crown Liverpool the champions. You don't have any relegation, but you do promote Leeds and West Brom. And then you think, well, what does that mean for the clubs in the playoff positions? And why don't you relegate the clubs that are in the relegation zone if you're promoting teams? 
it is a minefield, isn't it? And it, there's no easy solution for this whatsoever, Jonathan. Not at all. No, there's not going to be a solution that's going to please everybody. Um, it might just come down to, it probably will just come down to economics. So I guess the one thing that struck me all along is that it's so expensive to be relegated that you just couldn't relegate someone on the basis of an unfinished season. Um, and, you, you know, clubs that would be denied promotion, um, it's a terrible blow for them. But I, I guess I'm just trying to think from a legal point of view in a court of law, it'd be hard for any club in the championship to, to prove that the, the Premier League money was actually ever theirs because, you know, they hadn't quite finished the season. So I, I'm a, I think the most, my guess would be just um, Liverpool being champions, no relegation, and then possibly, possibly some promotion, but probably not. And that, that, but I'm just, I'm guessing. We're all guessing. <laughs> this is it. There, as we said, there's no easy solution to, to this issue that we find ourselves in. And I know Gregor mentioned there that he'd spoken to Simon Francis, and and there's there's an unhappiness and unease for, from some players about returning. When you spoke to Wayne Rooney, did you ask him about this? Have they actually been consulted about football coming back, and how do they feel about it? No, and, and 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 I mean we've got you know players are getting asked that, you know the first thing players are still dealing with is is the financial side of things, um, and I think you know to be fair certainly EFL clubs are probably dealing with that as well more than anything else. But in terms of the the getting football back on, no, and I, and it's the same when I talk to coaches, they they haven't really been um, consulted either. There's, there is a feeling that that a lot of these things are just happening at. Um, kind of owner and, and, and government level and, and that the people involved um, have been sort of caught in the middle and that's that's probably been the case from from the start with starting with the whole debate over players players pay um, I, you know I, I know that the, the public don't have a huge well of sympathy for for rich footballers but I actually do feel sorry for them that, that, that they've been they've just been caught in the in, in the middle of everything mm-hmm. Um Without much of a say, if any say, about their own their own sport, the profession which they do care about. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
We're going to finish with a bit of fun today. It's Thursday, the 30th of April. It's National Honesty Day. Oh, goodness me. Everyone has to be good today then. Uh, An American idea that started to encourage honesty and straightforward communication in politics, relationships, consumer relations, and also historical education. So in celebration, we're asking for some brutal honesty today and having a game of unpopular opinion, the football edition. So for example, Olivier Giroud would have been a championship striker in another life that tweet uh, is <laughs> yeah that tweet is from a certain gregor robertson mm, interesting um i'll also give you some other football opinions sent in by our listeners that they believe to be true and you can tell me whether you agree or disagree then then both yourself jonathan and gregor i'm going to ask for one of your own unpopular opinions. So these are some of the responses we've had to our tweet that we put out. Yakas says you should only support your local professional club, although you are allowed to support a distant club if it's the club of your parent or guardian. <laughs> Gregor, what do you think to that? Uh, that's quite kind of strict, isn't it? Mm, I know. <laughs> uh, well, I didn't. I grew up a Celtic fan. I lived in Edinburgh, but it was because... Oh, dear. It was because my dad was a Celtic fan, so I, I suppose I fit in there somewhere. That's you a bit do, strict. You, uh, you do fit that category, though, because yeah. of your, your, your dad. Um, Jonathan, do you agree with what Yakas says? Um, I'm just checking the doors closed because my, my missus is a Norwich fan who grew up in North <laughs> London. But, but oh. yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> um, albeit that I would, I, would, I would invoke the Robertson clause because I've tried to bring my kids up as Aberdeen fans, even though we're miles from, from Aberdeen. But... Yeah, yeah. Broadly speaking, support your local team, sure. Who do they support now then, Jonathan, if they don't support Aberdeen? Well, the the little one, for some reason, has decided, declared she's a Chelsea fan and we just can't talk her out of it. Um, <laughs> but there's many years ahead to try that. Um, and uh, the, the, the elder one is, is a Leicester fan. So, okay. uh, and, and they both think that Aberdeen are the super team and I don't want to disabuse them with this notion. So they both think they support Aberdeen. I haven't actually seen them play yet. <laughs> oh well that's all right they've got they've got Aberdeen in their heart which is the main thing um let's let's get to another tweet Matt says Newcastle still think they are a big club they are not oh <gasps> Gregor do you want to go into that that's a minefield in no. itself <laughs> <laughs> of course they are of course they are they've got an enormous fan base I think I mean I don't know the details of this but I think if you were to look at the kind of all-time list of how many trophies clubs have won? They'd still probably be somewhere in the top ten. That's a bit of a guess, but I think it's true. Uh, of course, they're a big club. They've just fallen on hard times, and potentially that's going to change. And Jonathan, would you agree mm. with Matt, or would you agree with what Gregor's just said? Well, first, I would ban the the concept of big clubs or big games. <laughs> Good idea. I hate that. I hate that in football. But oh, um, mm, um, I guess I've got to sort of be honest. It is honesty day. Ooh. Here we go. I mean, they they were a big club. Um, they're not a small club, but they're probably somewhere in the middle. <laughs> You're basically saying they're middle of the road, basically. Kind of. Nothing more than that. But it all could change when Maurizio Pochettino comes in and the, the takeover gets the go-ahead, etc., etc. Okay, Ben Beach says, diving in football doesn't happen that much and it isn't a big deal, Jonathan. Oof. Um, you know, it probably doesn't doesn't happen as much as it used to. That's my kind of gut instinct. I don't know if there's any evidence whatsoever for that. Um, I think it's odious, but I don't think it's as big a problem in the game as, um, you know, those people say, oh, footballers are always on the floor, they're always diving. I don't think that's, that's the case. OK, and Greg, what do you think? From when you've been playing and now you're watching it regularly, 
Do you see diving more or less in football? Uh, more at the top level, undoubtedly. Um, but I think there is some truth in that the the speed with which the game kind of is played now. Um, any little touch people can 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 go over. So I think, I think actually there's more of an issue of people trying to buy fouls. They are fouls, but they're not. It's you know it's kind of a half dive and half foul. That so many players are so clever at doing that now. I think Jamie Vardy is the mm. best at it. He just entangles his legs with someone and goes over, and that that is a form of diving. So no, actually, Ben, you're wrong. There's plenty of diving. <laughs> uh, David Troon <laughs> suggests that De- Dennis Burkamp's goal against Newcastle was a fluke. Uh-oh, Gregor, do you think it was a fluke? I mean, absolutely not. And I'm going to say that because I was at the game, which I think I said a few weeks ago uh, on the pod. No, I mean, I watched, before that podcast, I kind of spent 10 minutes watching the the goal. And he, I think he was interviewed about it uh, a couple of years afterwards too. Um, and Bergkamp's an honest guy. And he said that he saw the opportunity to play the ball there and it was quicker to turn the other direction and kind of pirouette so in no way was that a fluke it was genius genius for you is it the same for you Jonathan was it genius or is it a fluke like David says no Bergkamp was an absolute genius (laughs) and it's not as if that was the only decent thing he did in his career I mean I remember a goal against Brazil and plenty other moments where he he showed his football intellect I mean there, there is a kind of unspoken truth about Dennis Bergkamp which I think he was quite a dirty player, and that doesn't often <laughs> sort of get said. But no, no, he certainly wasn't a lucky player. And uh, finally, Mark on Twitter mm, perhaps hasn't quite got the idea, but deserves a mention nonetheless. He says, I'll often get to games half an hour earlier than my mates, so I can have a pie without them knowing. Then I can have another one at half time too, pretending I'm starving. <laughs> he asks, is that okay? I mean, it might not be great for your waistline, but if you're hungry, you're hungry, Gregor. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I can uh, I can feel that pain. I've got a good uh, good appetite on me. Sometimes I'll have a little pre uh, a little starter before before my my girlfriend gets home and cooks the tea. So uh, <laughs> oh, really? I can sympathise there. Yeah. <laughs> mm, and now you can add in a cocktail as well. Indeed, indeed. Oh, fabulous! Right, come on, let's get to you, both of your unpopular opinions. Uh, let's start with with you, Gregor. Go on. I've. I'm going to go for one. It may be predictable, and I think you'll back me up in that. But it's this, the the entertainment value of the championship over the Premier League. I yes. think I wrote yes, a piece about this. I wrote a piece about this in February, and uh, there was a lot of reaction to it. They were kind of on on both sides. So I think it still is classed as an unpopular opinion. But I just think for the for the levels of unpredictability, and, and if you look at the league table now, and and the very fact, the the fact that there are playoffs, I think it's almost like an incentive for clubs to throw caution to the wind, especially when we come to this point of the season. And and I wrote that piece back in February, and which feels like kind of a lifetime ago now. Um, and I remember I went to QPR around that time as well. And I don't know if there's any other league in the world or a team who are mid-table. So I think they were they were like thirteenth or. 14, something like that, had scored more goals than every team other than <laughs> West Brom, who were top, and simultaneously conceded more goals than every single team <laughs> but Luton, who were bottom. So, like, 
that is the classic championship team, you know. They're, it's mm. so so wacky and swing oscillates wildly from from the sublime to the ridiculous. Uh, and as I say, there are there's so many kind of out there score lines. I think for that piece as well, I I, uh, I spoke to David Pruton, who uh, hosts Sky Sports coverage for for the championship, and he was he told me a little example of of his, which was. Um, I think it was a game between Hull City and Swansea City. And in the build-up to the game, they were given all the stats and, and whatnot. And they realised that in the, in, the, in the game before, neither, neither side had mustered a single shot on target. Uh, and the score was 4 all. <laughs> so he said, he said that in a microcosm is the championship. So, look, mm. I'm slightly biased in that I watch that league in the flesh more than I watch the Premier League. Um and look, if you're to ask me what what is has a higher standard, clearly it's the Premier League. But there is something about unpredictability that is is key to entertainment. And really, there's not been that much of that in the Premier League this season. Mm. Well, I would have to say that's game set and match to Gregor. Uh, that would work <laughs> for me, <laughs> particularly. And it's actually interesting you mentioned QPR because they're 13th in the table as it stands up until when when everything was was halted. Six points off the playoffs, so it's it is a ridiculous league. There is so much entertainment, and you really can't call much that goes that goes on week to week in that league. But um, I like that one. That's a good unpopular opinion, although it's popular with me. Jonathan, what's your unpopular opinion? I'm not sure you're going to like this one as much, actually. Now, oh, but um, no. so look, I, I, I've been thinking this for years. Actually, um, my my opinion would be that England have massively overachieved as a football nation. Oh. Um, <laughs> 50 years of hurt, I don't get it. It should be 50 years of being pleased with themselves and thankful for <laughs> what they've won so far. Think about it. When England have only ever done well in four tournaments, right? 1966, they were at home and they got a decision from a linesman. 1996, oh. they were at home... Let off the hook by Gary McAllister, missing a penalty in the group stages. Fluked a penalty shootout against the Spanish. Um, you know, home advantage. 1970, I'll give England that great team. Unlucky to come up against, um, you know, the brilliance of Brazil. And then they did well in Russia, which, you know, they got the most ludicrously easy draw ever. Squeaked past Colombia in a, in, in, a, in a penalty shootout. You know, second best when they played a decent team to Belgium. You know, England just aren't actually that good and if you think about the fact that there's there's probably what never been an England English player who's been the best in the world probably very few English players in the top I'm not saying this to criticize England I'm just trying to say how you know how well England have actually done to to win what they've won um very few England English players ever in the in the sort of FIFA top 10 of of, of world's best players great club Success, but mostly built on Scottish managers and foreign players, I would say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you know, and there was there was there was even research that came out this um, th- th- this week showing that England are actually statistically better than Germany at penalties at, at tournaments. So it's not even <laughs> as if there's been this curse of penalties. I just think, well done, England. You've won a tournament. That's probably more than you you've you've deserved, and you should probably be pleased with that. And I, I say that entirely neutrally. Well, 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 well. I mean, I've gone from the highs to the lows. Uh, now, I mean, when are you going to be serious and give us your proper unpopular opinion? That was obviously a joke. Um, 
I mean, whose idea, producer Max, was it to have two Scots on the show today of all of all the people to have on? I'm being ganged up on. Um, I mean, you argue a very good point, Jonathan, but you are totally wrong. And you are right. You have an unpopular opinion. Um, but, you know, that is the beauty of football, that we can all have these differing opinions. So, yeah. Thank you very much. And that is it for now. Many thanks to Gregor and to Jonathan as well. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet, including, of course, Wayne Rooney's weekly column in The Sunday Times. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We will be back on Monday for the very latest game podcast. Stay safe in the meantime. <laughs>